Hey everyone, I'm Nicole Ashley Fletcher and it is so good to be back with you today. Wherever you are, walking, laying down, driving, wandering around the house, maybe in your closet like I am, I have prayed for you before you tuned in to listen today, believing that God is going to continue to meet with us and to speak to us. I wanted to share an encouragement from a listener who communicated how thankful she was for the message that reminded her of God's great love, not just for her, but for those on the margins. She shared how the trans community in particular, of which her daughter is now a part, is one of the most emotionally lonely and broken Many young people abandoned by their families and longing for a parent. And she had been feeling this pull, this leading by God to be a mother to that particular community and now understands more fully the heart of God to adopt those in need of belonging. Wow. I mean, listen, wherever you fall on the line of conclusions, every child needs a parent. That is one thing I know So thank you, dear listener, for your courage and your vulnerability, especially in the Christian community. And I pray that the deep and wide love of God would surprise and delight you as you mother an orphaned people and that Jesus will be found and glorified among you. As always, I'd love to hear from you about how God is moving in your own heart and your own life or family. But for now, let's continue our story together. Here's chapter five of a grafting story, Bloodlines and Blood Lies, Belonging That Is Thicker Than Water. Many of us see adoption simply as a way some choose to grow their family here on earth. But God sees adoption as our divine heritage, how every person who claims Jesus as Savior and Lord becomes a member of the bloodline of heaven itself and becomes grafted into his family tree. So while this is the oldest story of all time, it's becoming new all over again for us. May it become so for you, too. I'm Nicole Ashley Fletcher. Welcome to A Grafting Story, a retelling of God's adopted family and a new telling of ours. Jesus? Well, he's not really Joseph's son. It's good that Mary and Joseph had their own kid, you know, James. Good for them. It's really something that Joseph would accept Mary's son as his own. I don't know if I could ever do that. Could you? I can hear it everywhere I go. It's in the subtext of many conversations and the tone of many well-meaning voices. It's the accusing question tucked behind our souls that we can't seem to get rid of. And it's the question of legitimacy. Is he really their son? She's only half their daughter. You're not her real mom. And it doesn't just show up in the conversations of mixed families, step families, adopted families, our churches, or even our internal narrative and identity. It shows up in our theology. Who do you think you are? You're not really a child of God, are you? Well, if adoption is about anything, it's about belonging. 
And for many of us, that has to do with blood. I mean, whose DNA do you carry in the cells that pump through your heart? What genetic material provides the building blocks that carry down the family line of all the different things that make you you? Are you more nature or nurture? We as humans are first and foremost concerned not with where we belong, um, but more intimately to whom we belong to. And actually the Greek word for blood used in the book of Acts and John serves as a synonym for origin. Blood is the metaphorical symbol and the very literal evidence of both life and death. In the book of Leviticus, you know, our collective fave, it says in chapter 17 that the very life of a person or a creature is in its blood. It's a required component of most religious ceremonies worldwide and the secret ingredient to any pagan worship. It carries antibodies that can save lives and it might hold the medical secrets that can advance research and the future health of the human race. It's what holds a child's future in the court of law and what calls to us as we grow into our identity. It's what makes my dad almost faint just by the look of it and what Voldemort based an entire magical rebellion off of. It's what's used to divide entire nations and legitimize genocide. When Cain washes his hands of his brother's blood, It's the darkest expression of our sin that leads to death. But when Christ pours his own blood out for us, it is the highest expression of his love that leads to life. So to understand bloodlines and blood lies, we have to dissect belonging. We have to understand it a little bit before we can go beyond it. Well, we are neurologically hardwired to need to belong. And so we will go to the nth degree to figure out a way to achieve it, including, ironically, sacrificing our very selves, which makes the gospel that much more freeing because you already belong. We get to start from that place, not spend our whole lives trying to live up to it, belonging is not the destination, it's the starting line. Brene Brown, an author and researcher who's you know come to life uh, in the forefront talking about the link between vulnerability and courage, she outlines some interesting parts of her most recent research about belonging. She interviews middle schoolers and asks them the difference between fitting in and belonging. Well, these children as children often do, had profound answers. One said, fitting in is when you want to be a part of something, but belonging is when others want you. To be wanted, to belong. These are core building blocks of our existence and frame how we see ourselves, others, God, and every experience and encounter we have for the rest of our lives. So before we continue, I'm just going to stop here for a moment and tell you something important about you. God doesn't need you. 
He didn't happen or you didn't happen to be a part of his family. So he was stuck with you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He chooses you. And he doesn't choose you because you were the best or you had the most potential for growth or could produce the highest output for the kingdom. He was choosing you, as Psalm 18 says, because he delights in you. This word delight, it's an affectionate parental term, just like a baby can offer nothing to its parents. I mean, actually spends its entire early existence taking and taking. It still somehow gives the parent delight just simply by existing. You, dear child, don't fit in. You belong. You're not on the outside trying to make a name for yourself, trying to prove you are worthy, trying to convince God that you're a good choice. Belonging is when others want you and nobody wants you more than God Almighty. Just look at Jesus' hands if you forget. Well, another child that Brene Brown interviews says... It's hard to not feel like you belong at school, but it's a lot worse when you feel that way at home. How many of you feel the sting of that young girl's confession? Well, I know that I did. And many of us, if we're honest, have some experience of feeling on the outside, trying to grapple and fit into our families or then try to set ourselves apart. And no matter what combination or matches of white and red blood cells flow through us, our experiences of the need for belonging are the same. And security, safety, and attachment that form belonging, they've been researched for a hundred years or more And they really started to gain ground in publishing around the 1940s. One of the first social researchers of the time, Mary Salter, she puts it this way. Familial security in the early stages of life, it's a dependent type. It forms the very basis from which any individual can work outward, gradually forming new skills and interest. But where familial security is lacking, the individual is disadvantaged because they don't have a secure base from which to explore and experience the world and themselves. It seems so simple, basic, doesn't it? I mean, I guess it's supposed to feel that way. These are common issues of identity and sense of self and security. How many of us wrestle with insecurity, doubt, wondering if we're safe, cared for, thought of, capable, wanted, chosen? I mean, I'm wrestling with some of those things right now (laughs) as I share this with you. It just gets me thinking about how wide and deep Jesus as the cornerstone, the, the stronghold of our lives really is, you know, for our developing minds and spirits. Isn't that how God the Father, the Master Gardener, instructs us to love, to lead, to parent? When we're safe and secure in Christ, we can begin to grow. So God as Master Gardener says, if you want something to grow and to flourish, you have to care for it. It has to know and experience that it belongs. 
And God as Father says, if you want the person, the child, the disciple to grow and flourish, you have to care for it. It has to know it belongs. But if you can feel like you don't belong in a family in which you share a DNA match and also one who you don't, if you can find belonging and security in a group of individuals who are not genetically related to you and yet also have a longing to know blood relatives as you wrestle with wholeness, there has to be something else. There is a cellular nucleus that's missing. Well, if anyone knew anything about belonging, it was Jesus. He came to a world that was his own, but his own did not receive him. He had to be both son of man and son of God. So he had to be born into a less than typical family and was very prepared to be scrutinized and ostracized. If you feel strangely on the outside in some capacity or another, if the family you find yourself a part of has an asterisk beside it in your mind, if your family tree isn't a simple children's drawing, but an actual organic living organism, well, you're in good company with the Savior. Before Jesus feels the sting against his very identity and purpose from those he came to save, before he kisses betrayal at the hands of a friend or gets well acquainted with rejection on the cross, he gets introduced to those things at birth. He grows up right in the middle of the murmurs and the disgrace. But you know what else he gets introduced to? The church. When he was born, there were the animals and the women. When he was ministering and preaching and healing, there were the poor. When he was hanging on a cross, there were criminals and his mom and his new family. Jesus sets the table for a people of all nations and languages, skin colors, blood types, backgrounds to bear his family name, to become brothers and sisters in this life and for eternity. Jesus could have just told us to adopt. He could have taught uh, about accepting the outsider and the orphan as if they were born into your family, but he went one step further, just like Jesus became poor. He became rejected. He became crushed. He became betrayed. Jesus became the other, the adopted, the scrutinized, and the accused to legitimize and elevate and recognize and honor a title and position that is scorned by some and considered second best by most. He did that with his very own life to usher in a new kind of family based on what John in verse 13 says, not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God, a legitimizing of former outsiders and a reframing of validity, plan and purpose inside the paradigm called family. So as we wrestle down the question of Jesus's legitimacy, we get to our own. And if we get there, then we have a hope of expressing the legitimacy to others.
I've been recently introduced to a new term, blood quotients. Another word, uh, you know, blood percentages. So, for example, uh, each person has a percentage of uh, blood that belongs to different groups of people. So, for example, I have half Greek blood. I have a certain percentage uh, of Métis blood and Scottish English blood. And there's a lot of controversies that I've been reading about around blood quotients, specifically when considering Indigenous peoples and the land and the law and people claiming a certain quotient of blood to reap benefits, but not actually identifying with that people group or their cause. It's tricky stuff. And I'm just at the very beginning of my learning and unlearning. But it reminded me of the genealogies of Jesus. God comes to us and says that we have 0% divine blood. While our form is God-likeness, we're just a walking body without the lifeblood of God within us. So how does that come about? Well, in Matthew 1 and in Luke 3, well, Matthew 1, a recorded genealogy of Jesus through Joseph's line, and Luke 3, uh, a recorded genealogy of Jesus's line through Mary. And in Luke 3, starting in verse 23, it says that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, being as he was supposed the son of Joseph, who was the son by marriage of Eli, the son of, the son of, all the way to the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed and Boaz, the son of, the son of, all the way to the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. A Jewish paternal bloodline was the only sure signifier of legitimacy. After all, they were the favored and blessed people or nation of God from whom the Messiah would come. And in Jesus's case, the paternity blood test determining his messianic lineage would have been false from Joseph's line from a Jewish point of view. But Mary, whose lineage is outlined in Luke 3, is also a descendant of David because blood matters. And Jesus had to be blood kin of King David to be considered the Messiah and fulfill the prophecies about him. But Jesus is adopted by Joseph, considered fully his own, both by God, who gave Joseph the authority to name him and raise him, and by the people. John 6, 42 says that Jesus was referred to as Joseph's son. And while there were many scholars you know, who could go into all the incredible detail of the family line and heritage of Jewish familial law, here's the thing that jumps out at me. Something I honestly never really considered. You and I have been welcomed into a Jewish lineage that's not our own. Blood runs through my veins that has nothing to do with my earthly paternity and everything to do with my heavenly paternity. We are children of Abraham. I mean, I didn't walk through the Red Sea. I didn't help build a temple to Yahweh or pass down my ancestors' genealogy, traditions, and culture from generation to generation. I didn't memorize the Torah or make any sacrifices of atonement on behalf of an entire people. But by the generous miracle of grace, I've been welcomed in 
given what I could not grow on my own. And we must not, as Paul says, disregard the natural branches, the gift of legacy and ancestry that we get to inherit by the interference of our great gardener, the root, the rootstock, the trunk, the energy, the history, the capacity, the thousands of years of resistance and faithfulness and fruitfulness as if it were my own, I get to be grafted into Abraham's faith, Jesus's lineage, heaven's bloodline. And this is not earned or something I can pay back. It's unmerited favor and grace. Those old ways of bloodlines are not extinguished, just like the law is not extinguished but fulfilled in Jesus. So the family paradigm simply gets fulfilled, extended, redeemed in Jesus. And get this, not just now in her present and not just forward into our future, but the power of the blood of Jesus is that it also cleanses the impurities in Jesus's family's bloodline going backwards, that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our new life, our new family that crosses generational lines is still based on blood just like it always was. But this time, it's based solely exclusively, purely on Jesus's blood alone. We like to rely on bloodlines for our safety, security, and belonging because it's definable. It's measurable. It says you're in and you're out. And that works well if you're in, but what about the rest of us? We think that laws and limits and categories and walls will make us feel safe The blood lie says that power, love, belonging, acceptance, and security is in the reeling in of nets, the narrowing of gates, the hoarding of manna. But the blood of Jesus casts the nets again and again, flings wide those gates, and makes manna rain down from heaven The deeper we are formed in this wide womb of God, the clearer we begin to see that there isn't a limit. There isn't an enough. There isn't a fixed measure of God's capacity that we have to scramble as orphans to squeeze into. His radical generosity gives us ease to be generous to others. Here's the truth. The blood in my veins, the DNA in my ancestry contains heart disease, perfectionism, fear, secrecy, and people-pleasing. It also contains resilience, passion, creativity, and hard work. The blood in my husband's veins contains prejudice, high blood pressure, addiction, religiosity. It also contains devotion, generosity, hospitality, and peace. I don't know what generational bloodlines you are connected to or what blood lies you have believed about where you belong or to whom you belong, but I have one prayer for you. 
one prayer for my children, the ones containing my DNA and the ones who don't, that the blood they identify with now and forever wouldn't be mine or my husband's or a birth family, but would first and foremost be that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because however we have entered our families and wherever we have come from, we need a God to wash away all of the poison from our bloodlines and leave us with clean hands and pure grace-pumping hearts. First Peter 1 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. The blood that was shed on Calvary's tree has new DNA in it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, says Jesus, which is poured out for you. Unlike our earthly genetics that define, put up walls, and set quantifiable limits, his blood opens the door for all children. Blood matters. But when our time on earth is done and we enter the fullness of our eternal life, only one family bloodline will matter. When God asks you whose name you carry and what DNA runs through your veins, there is only one that brings the dead to life and the orphan home. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening in today. I hope you learned something new and felt encouraged along the way. If you are interested in hearing more, subscribe and leave a review so the content and message of this story can be found by other curious listeners. I'd also love to connect with you about any questions to share resources or to hear your grafting story. So send me a message. You can do that online. I'm on Instagram at Nick Fletch or NicoleAshleyFletcher.com. But more than any of that, please share this personally with anyone you know who might need to hear it. I'll be praying for you as you do. I hope to be with you again very soon. And until then, bye for now.